Hi folks, how you doing? Uh, you're like, hold on a minute, it's middle of the week, what's Bowman doing here? Chatting to us about random film, TV and music stuff. Well, as promised, we have a bonus episode of Soundtracking for you this week as the brilliant Charlie Brooker joins me to discuss the inimitable Black Mirror. So all six episodes of the new season are available to watch on Netflix now and they don't disappoint. As you'll hear Charlie talk about, you know, as he moves through this show and tries to think of different ways and different things to do, it's a really interesting journey for him as well. And music, I think, is really central to the show from the needle drops to the composers that he's employed, including friends of the show, Daniel Pemberton, Max Richter, Clint Mansell, Ariel Marks. And since Charlie and I discuss this specific episode, we are going to begin with one of Clint's cues from San Judipero called Life Eternal. Charlie, how are you? I'm all right. Can't complain, mustn't grumble. How are you? Very good. It's very lovely to sit and eat my breakfast listening to you this morning on the radio. It's very nice. Do you have you fun? Did, mate, you, you didn't vomit the breakfast up as a result of <laughs> my horrible voice laugh, that was, laughing out of a speaker. It was lovely. It was really good. And it was also a, a lovely addition to my research to chat to you today, to be honest. But I've watched all the episodes of the new season. Congratulations. It really is. It's kind of brilliant. And it's always the thing with, with Black Mirror where you kind of have no idea where you're going to go with it. And it's just, you don't really get that with many things, I think, now where the kind of anticipation and the unknown stepping in and everything. We always seem to know everything about everything before we watch it now. But with Black Mirror, it makes it quite unique like that. Yeah, we deliberately tell you nothing. Yeah, <laughs> If we good. can help it. Which often it's... makes, when I'm doing, when I'm, out promoting the show it's quite difficult for me to, to discuss. yeah i want to try and i want to put this out when people have had the opportunity to watch some episodes because okay. spoiler free sort of thing because having had the luxury of watching all the episodes and being a fan of the show before we talk about music if that's all right which is such a big part of the show both in terms mm. of you know the 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 composers that you use to mm. to the the needle drops and things and songs that reappear but for you when you're thinking about starting a new series of, of Black Mirror, is there a starting point? Is there a, a thing or a stimulus that makes you sit down and write and think about a new season? Not necessarily a season. When it comes to an individual story, it's really just... I do, the best ones seem to occur just in the moment and quite often as a bit of a joke. So, we've, for instance, there's one, there's one episode in this season where... I was watching The Dropout, which was this, this show 
dramatising the Elizabeth Holmes Theranos scandal, and it stars mm. Amanda Seyfried plays Elizabeth Holmes in it. And I was watching it with my wife, and we, we, we're watching it at home, and we're sort of like, this feels like it happened 10 minutes ago, and it's being dramatised already. And that then leads to sort of inevitably a comic conversation about imagine if in this she switched the TV on and sees the dropout. And then you're like, okay, oh, okay, there's a story in that. Usually there's a funny idea occurs to me. And then actually with that particular episode, which is called Joan is Awful, it is a comic story. Quite often I'm taking an idea that's a, that's occurred to me as a funny idea and then making something horrible out of it. <laughs> is that an easy journey for you? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think I'm a natural... <laughs> I'm a natural sort of worrier, mm -hmm. and so it doesn't take me many steps to go from, you know, if I if the kids are bouncing around on a trampoline, then I'm the person who's immediately picturing the public service information film version of that in there. Oh, someone's going to put their knee through the other one's face <laughs> at a minute. It's all going to be we're going to be rushing them to an A and E. Quick, stop, stop them having fun. I'm that person, and so you know, catastrophizing, I guess. So you know, that's a hindrance in everyday life, but it's a benefit when you're thinking of sort of horrible ideas. And I think a lot of comedy, I mean, we're seeing at the moment, aren't there? There's quite a lot of comedy people who also do horror. So who, yeah. who seem quite adept at doing uh, horror um, material. I'm thinking of people like Jordan Peele or, or shows like Inside Number Nine, which kind of walk. Yeah. And I think there's common ground, I think. Often in comedy, you're imagining what's the worst that could happen. Yeah. And then playing it for comic effect and, 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 and in... Uh, drama and and horror and 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 disturbing stuff. You're you're kind of exercising a similar muscle. And do you ever write with specific cast in mind as well? Because you know that's another brilliant part to this to this show is the casting and who you see. I mean, I, I would take me all day to be honest to list everybody in these episodes, these new episodes, even the tiny moments that they they appear and stuff as well. I'm thinking of Nick and Demon Seventy Nine, which is a brilliant throwback, by the way. So right. brilliant. But when you're writing, do you have people in mind? And I imagine you're at a point now with the show where you kind of, I imagine you've got that luxury where you could kind of go to anyone pretty much and go, do you want to be in uh, Do you want to be in Black Mirror? I mean, looking at the cast list in this, it's kind of pretty, yeah. We have got quite, we've got a good cast. And again, we've got, we've got, I think, a nice mix of sort of like international faces and, and, very, and sort of very, like people who will be very familiar to Brits and yeah. some... People who won't be too familiar to, to 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 people necessarily. So I mean, certainly, I'm just always amazed that people say yes. Actually, so <laughs> so that's obviously really gratifying. I mean, I don't know if I could go to literally anyone. That would be quite a weird. That's quite a weird thought. That's way too much power to be wielding. Certainly, like so, Salma Hayek is in one of our episodes, and she's so, so that was an interesting thing where. And again, it's not too giving away too much to say she plays sort of herself in it, or kind of like a version of herself at points in that episode. And that's obviously a bit nerve wracking <laughs> if you're sending someone a script with their name in it and you're asking them to play themselves. Turned out she was, she sort of couldn't get enough of it. And she actually encouraged us to ramp it up. Oh, wow. Um, so my original, because obviously you're not going to send some, if you've seen the story, there's things in there that you would never. <laughs> that Salma Hayek encouraged, <laughs> put it that way, that, that weren't necessarily in the first draft that you sent her. She was like, oh, you know, I, I, I think, you know, I think that the version of me should be heightened and can draw on, you know, things from my actual life and, and you can make me quite venal and sort of say outrageous things. And so that was like, that was, you know, she was a really good sport. Because with casting as well, not just with 
actors as well. I mean, Monica Dole and I, I love so much. I think she's just one of our greats and she's fantastic. And um, Loch Henry, it's so great. But directors... I've done you... a Scottish episode, that. Yeah, I went and grabbed my closest kilt and stuck it on whilst I was watching it. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's not just casting it's the actors, it's it's directors and composers. That's part of matching those right people with those stories and the... You know, how much do you relinquish control in terms of once you cast the director in a way for each mm. episode? And Well, it's not about relinquishing control so much as you... The good thing is that basically... As soon as the director's on board, they've obviously got loads of questions about mm-hmm. the script. So they ask lots of questions. Sometimes they're questions I don't have answers to. And then I feel terribly inadequate for a moment and sort of feel like a kid who hasn't done his homework. And I'm like, you know, they'll say, at what point does this character make this decision or something like this? And I'm thinking, I actually don't know. Um, <laughs> but what happens is you, through the discussion, you then go away and you change things. You know, and sometimes they'll have notes and feedback on, you know, I think this character's getting a bit lost or I don't understand this. So there's a constant, you know, when things are going well, it's a constant state of improvement. And that's all, it reflects well on me because it means the finish, if the finished article is, uh, looks like it was more thought out than my terrible first draft, then great. So, so, so I, I stay involved in the process throughout kind of at every stage. The one thing I do tend to do is when we're actually shooting, I don't always go to set and I don't tend to interfere on set. Yeah. I think that's where the directors and the actors, that's a bit of a sort of sacred space, as it were, and you don't want to sort of stick your oar in. Um, and then my favourite bit, probably in a way, of the whole process is the edit awesome. and, and all the sort of stuff, all the post-production stuff after that. Because in the edit, you can make huge changes to things. It's where you you can fix problems, usually script problems. You can fix those or there's elements, new elements of the story that can come out. You can do a lot in the edit. It's, it's the sort of most important draft of the, the story. So that's my sort of favourite bit. And then all the stuff after that, all the post-production stuff of that, when you're doing the, the sound mix and the, the VFX and the visuals, that's a like really luxurious, indulgent phase. It does mean you watch the episodes about 900 times. So when you get to order a really nice lunch as well and sort of comfy sofa and whatever. Oh, you sa- really nice lunch? <laughs> Usually what it is is you're exhausting like saying four <laughs> options on delivery. What about composers then? How has that kind of journey worked with composers throughout the, you know, throughout the, the show's kind of history? Because you've attracted an amazing collection, you know, of composers. We had Clint Mansell actually on the podcast talking about his episode, um, San Junipero, you know, back a couple of few years ago. And you've got... Yeah. And actually, um, Ariel Marks, I just spoke to recently for a small light, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. Right. Who you've got on, on this new season with yeah, yeah, yeah. Vol- Volker Bertelman, obviously, you know, Oscar yeah. winner, who's just the nicest man ever. How does that work, that side of things? That process works. So Ariel, like literally, I think I had watched um, A Friend of the Family and Candy which was another series. Like I watched both of those back to back and then realised it was the same composer. <laughs> so sometimes I'm suggesting a name and more often actually you find that, or there'll be various names in the frame and we're, and we're trying to find out who's available and, and who, and usually, again, that will be the thing the director quite often suggests somebody. Often it's somebody they've worked with before or it's somebody that, and they'll, they'll have, a, usually what happens is the director has an initial like call now it would be a zoom call probably yeah and they you know talk through the talk through the story and then if if it feels like that you're you know everyone's gelling then you send them the sort of cut and it's it's an interesting process i often lack the language to 
<laughs> describe what that's the piece I find really difficult. If I'm trying to talk to a composer, I don't have the language to describe what I'm what I'm after. Do you know what I mean? Does that make sense? You know, I'm yeah. I'm, I don't know what instruments are called. Things like that. I'm terrible. That can be really interesting because they're almost the translator in a way, aren't they? Between the emotion and the technical yeah. side of it, in a way. And it's so brilliant when you kind of think of. I mean, for example, if you'd taken, say, you'd taken San Junipero as an episode, mm-hmm. and you'd given that episode to six composers, yeah, to hear how different that episode would have been with all their different That's interpretations that- of it. That's reminding me, we did when we did we did an interactive episode called Bandersnatch, and there's a point in that where the character gets to he walks into a branch of WH Smith and he's choosing between two LPs. And depending on which one you choose, it soundtracks a montage that's coming up later on in the in the in the story. It's a fascinating thought. I guess in the future you'll be able to I mean it's a slightly depressing thought actually, but in the future yeah. you'll be able to choose like I want a more electronic soundtrack for this episode, or <laughs> like the viewer would. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it that way. In that way that you get the soundtracks for video games that react to what's happening in the moment. Yeah, the gameplay, yeah, totally. There's a beautiful marriage, I think, in the way that the music, both with the composer's work, with with the the tracks that are in there, you know, and however they're used, whether they're used as an emotive thing or or a tonal thing as well, like the when she's watching the the charts and Demon 79 and that Boney M moment and stuff as well, and, and... Papa's little wink to her and stuff. You know, it's, it's just used so brilliantly. And he's, he just, yeah, he's a great character to to live him through, I guess, is the way to kind of, yeah, explain Yes, I it. think, I, well, it was a, it's a, it's obviously, you know, music is extremely evocative. And so, I mean, you mentioned San Junipero. And by the way, I like Clint, the, the, the one of the really exciting things where it was Clint Mansell. I was a huge Pop Will Eat Itself fan back in the, <laughs> in the day when I was a teenager. So I was delighted. Like, oh, did you fanboy out? Yeah, I know. It was like, <laughs> But um and and but elsewhere in that episode we were playing it plays a lot of music from the eighties and with Demon seventy nine it's set in nineteen seventy nine so you have a lot of fun listening to one of the things I do if 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 I'm thinking of a story that's set in a specific time frame I'll sort of put a playlist together of music from that year including stuff I wouldn't necessarily have listened to or whatever and you find it suggests images to you if you go I'll mm-hmm. go out for a run which is something I never used to do but nowadays. <laughs> Uh, anyone desperately trying to stave off the grave, I go jogging and stuff. <laughs> um, and I'll be listening to music, and quite often you kind of see moments. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. Guests, sequences, or or something like that. So, so sometimes in the script, it's very specific, like like there. So it was very specific about Boney M. There's a bit later on where it's very specific about the music that's playing in a pub. Yeah, on, where it's like I don't like Mondays, and we get hit me with your rhythm stick and stuff like that. And there's a sort of gag that's playing there. Yeah, it's very but, good. Um, so, so sometimes it's super specific, and other times, because obviously you don't know then when you're writing it, are we going to be able to clear this? Sometimes it's very specific, and sometimes you sort of again you make a playlist and you play around in the edit and try different things. And there's a really great, there's a couple of other really great moments in that as well, when the, the car kind of chase is going on and you've got these two different pieces of music oh, yeah. connected to the characters as well that kind of yeah. flips between the two. That's brilliant. And Bright Eyes. Bright which... Eyes, our, our fun called Bright Eyes, which I, I didn't realise. I don't think America re- is really familiar with that piece of music. I just, I, just I, I, I mean, I traumatised from, I can't watch Watership Down <laughs> Oh, I still horrible. can't watch it. I still can't watch it. 
And um, that's plague dogs, which is the follow-up. That's actually more horrible. <laughs> really? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, if you if you if the, maybe that could unlock Watership Down for you. You could maybe okay. Plague dogs, and you go, oh, Watership Down. That's a walk in the park. It's like um, therapy. I like it. Okay. It's um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know. It, well, again, so Bright Eyes is haunting and it's sort of like a beautiful and delicate sort of piece of music. It sounds like it should be like really beautiful. The lyrics are incredibly dark. Like he's talking about following the river of death downstream is like pretty much the second line of that song. So it's quite unsettling. And we yeah, that the episode opens with that almost almost playing at length. Like I think it's almost the whole song pretty much plays out. And again, for me, that evokes because I'm I can remember because that was, that was number one for what felt like forever, at, at some <laughs> point, around like late 78, 1979, something like that. So it sort of evokes a whole era, doesn't it? It's, sort of, it's like uh, like smell is meant to sort of, you know, take you back to certain things. And, yeah. And he does that too. Absolutely. 100% it does that as well. Is it a kind of dream? With Beyond the Sea, with that episode, because obviously you immediately think of the different versions of that song as well, you know, that are that are out there. Did the song inspire the story at all or the characters? Has that happened at all where a, a specific piece of music has been a kind of catalyst or an inspiration for an episode? Specifically? Uh, sometimes, it ha- sometimes it unlocks a big... So... Not necessarily. So, I mean, the big one that that always that I always remember is when I was writing San Junipero, which was set in the 1980s. I was going for a run, and I was listening, and I'd made a playlist of music from around 86, 87. And Heaven is a Place on Earth by Belinda. Belinda Carlo. Yeah. It sounds pretentious, but I suddenly sort of saw the ending. So it actually gave me the ending of that episode. Heaven is a place on earth. It was like perfect. For, for what what was going on in the story. So I was like praying we could clear it um, and we could. Ooh, baby, do you know what that's worth? Ooh, heaven is a place on earth. They say in heaven, love comes first. We'll make heaven a place on earth. Ooh, heaven is a place on
Beyond the Sea, that episode is set in like a sort of alternative 1969. And it was, it was sort of more of a character point in a way. The episode, the story was always called in my head was, was either called Sea of Tranquility or Beyond the Sea. And I couldn't, and I think there is a show called Sea of Tranquility, annoyingly, that's coming out. So <laughs> called it Beyond the Sea. And then when you, so then obviously that was an obvious thing for me to go and listen to. And then that leads you to the French, the original sort of French version of it. I assume it's the original version. I think it is. And it seemed like the, a, a piece of music that that character would listen to at the time. And then that music choice influences, there's another, there's a Jacques Brel track that, that, that plays later on in that, because again, it felt like the sort of thing that that character would be listening to, because that character is a sort of debonair, you know, worldly, slightly sort of sophisticated, the town mouse mm. versus the country mouse, effectively. So, so it was, it, it sort of felt like something in a slightly performatively sophisticated way that that character might be listening to. La mer qu'on voit danser le long du golfe clair a des reflets d'argent la mer des reflets changeants sous la pluie la mer au ciel d'été confond ses blancs moutons avec les anges si purs la mer bergère d'azur infinie voyez près des étangs ces grands roseaux mouillés voyez ces oiseaux blancs it broke me that episode. Oh, it's really uh, accomplished. Oh my god, it was just like that. Oh, because you think it's. I mean, I'll say, watch the episode, please. You know, I'll tell people to start this ep- this episode, this podcast, to make sure they watch things first. But you think it's going to go one way, like oh, I know what's going to happen, and then you go, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, brutal. So brutal. It's interesting because I've been talk, thinking about it so much. There's been great because I've ducking back into previous episodes and things as well. But do you ever set out to encourage people to have conversations about things? Because that's the great thing that the show does. Is it makes you think. It makes you talk about things. It makes you think about things. And anything I think they can do at the minute is like, it's got to be applauded. But do you ever kind of set, set out going, you know, if you're writing an episode going, I'd really like the theme to be this or you know, so tailoring it that way, or does it never really work that way for you? I think it, I think it doesn't, but it, I mean, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think that I don't try, I always get a little, when, when people sort of say, oh, the show is a dark warning about this, that, and the, like, I always, I'm a little uncomfortable with that, because, partly because I sort of think I don't set out to hopefully the show to be preachy, but I do think that probably while writing it, I tend to be drawn towards things that are a little satirical or there's a sort of horrible irony there, or sometimes it's a, sometimes you're just trying to evoke a sense of abject horror and other times you're just trying to make people laugh in, 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 so it's, it's, it's sort of, 
it depends is my that's a yeah. long way of saying it depends sometimes sometimes yes sometimes no but i'm not necessarily trying to like beat the drum and say everyone talk about this if if it gives you sort of food for thought then that's great even like um, demon 79 you know set in 79 is just like it's crying out that it's that it could be present day in terms of the themes and what's going on and stuff as well and that's such a clever well, Yes. things that kind of really shines through from that episode particularly hopefully definitely it's like it's a bit like a sort of lost horror movie from 1979 but then at some point you it, it's shot through with um stuff that's happening now so hopefully yeah. it's relevant and obviously when you're i think you can't escape any time in which you're writing things you're going to be influenced anyway by the atmosphere and the things that are in your head and they're in your head because of what's happening to you and around you so so it's always going to come through in that in that respect and yes that's a that was an interesting thing to do this season was to start out and that episode goes out it says red mirror because i was going to be doing them all at one point as as like almost horror companion alternative past episodes okay uh, then i sort of course corrected and changed it back into black mirror actually <laughs> but um it's interesting that that then I'm delighted that you that that was your takeaway from it in a way was that I said takeaway. Don't like it when people say that. What was your takeaway? <laughs> What's our takeaway from that story? Um, again, that's delivery. Connection to it, yeah. Yes, um, was that it? You know that it felt still that it felt timely because I think it was it was it was a way of me disrupting in a way what I I was in danger of of Black Mirror episodes becoming a cliche that they were always about somebody who's trapped inside a computer or who's got a thing attached to their, an electronic device attached to their temple that's enslaving them in some way. So I just sort of deliberately set out to sort of upend the formula, so to speak. And that's, uh, hence you get episodes like Demon 79, which are very different. They're very different to things we've done before, but hopefully still feels like a Black Mirror. And it's also that thing as well, where you have this, you kind of think about things and you watch old episodes, particularly you go, my God, Charlie can see into the future. He knows what's going to happen. It's kind of, you have this ability to almost kind of write about things that maybe we're subconsciously thinking about that are around the world that you write into these scripts or characters or situations that seem to occur or happen or are, or are within reach. In terms of research for things, particularly when it is around technology stuff and things like that, do you dive into loads of research and, and speak no, to people or... No, actually, no, in all honesty, no, I don't. I mean, and, and again, I, I sort of feel like, because when, when the show started back in 2011, there weren't that many other dystopian sort of sci-fi shows, and now it feels like there's quite a few. And mm -hmm. so, again, something I was trying to do was distinguish the show from those or just make it feel a bit, again, a bit different from other things that mm -hmm. were on. Again, I think there was a danger that the show was becoming a little bit, what's the tech issue of the week that you're going to write about and somebody had said to me at one point oh are you going to do a black mirror episode about nfts and i thought oh that sounds so depressing <laughs> um and so no really i mean i'm quite geeky and i'm interested in technology and i sort of follow what's going on but i don't specifically sort of sit there and i don't open the technology pages and think okay how can i turn this into a story and and sometimes weirdly you can do too much research <laughs> <laughs> and find yeah. out that, oh, that would never ever be possible or you, you might find something that will dissuade you from doing the story so i like to cheat and keep to our sort of movie magic rules Maisy day is a great episode too i really enjoyed that it's, it's, a, it's an odd odd one that again we can't say too much without spoiling yeah. it but again i'll just call it the pap episode a paparazzi <laughs> episode is definitely the way to 
to look at that again. Like there's a like a red mirror thing going on. I've been umming and ahhing over whether I designed a slightly different title sequence, which we put on, then took off, put on, then took off, and we took it off and made it. Which goes out as a standard black mirror. We'll see if that was the right decision. And I'm very nervous about it. But it's an interesting, again, it's an interesting, I mean, it's set, the time it's set, it's just before smartphones basically became mainstream and made the paparazzi not irrelevant, but less, mm. potentially less powerful, because suddenly everyone was potential paparazzi. So it's certainly an interesting time to set something. Yeah, and it's interesting, because there's almost like two narrative threads there, you know, in terms of the paparazzi on one side and then this this kind of starlet on the other side mm. of things as well. It's really great. I, I almost kind of like, oh, I want a feature of this. <laughs> well, we do. I mean, all the all the they're, lo- they're, they're good, hot, meaty episodes. It's great. Well, hopefully, that's that's part. The, the 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 appeal for me is in doing something that's we're a short commitment show anyway. <laughs> we don't. You know what it's like. That and by the way, this is no. I'm not throwing shade as the young folks say <laughs> at, at you know episodic television because you get shows like Succession or White Lotus or you know any. The, the, which are amazing and you know you know you know that thing where somebody says to you oh you've got to watch this show it gets really good around season two okay that's 10 hours of my life <laughs> yeah. but i know i know it will be i know from experience that when you're really into a show that's you, it's great you can't stop sort of inhaling <laughs> it but it is a bit nerve-wracking now isn't it because you're constantly like it's when when you're in between seasons of stuff, it's quite nerve wracking, and it's a bit like it's so, it's so much of your time potentially that you're going to invest in something. It's a bit like trying to work out where you should move house to. Like, oh, you know, it's a big <laughs> commitment. And so the, the the thing about Black Mirror is the the stories live for as long as they live, which is one one episode, and then it's out and you're done. Mm-hmm. And so some of them, they are sort of mini features basically and and we treat them all they're all treated individually that's why hopefully each one is idiosyncratic and has its own character and tone has its own composers has its own directors has its own cast so they are sort of hermetically sealed in one respect but also sort of part of this this psychological whole um uh, and i mean whole as in eight w-h-o-l-e not (laughs) h-o-l-e although it is also a psychological hole um but it it does mean that like hopefully it means you can you'll hopefully tune in that's a helplessly outdated term but you'll switch on and um click and then hopefully yes you go away feeling like you've got a full meal you could watch one and then naff off and you're done i'd obviously prefer it if you watched every single one and watched them three times so the algorithm says i've been a good boy (laughs) <laughs> Tell you what, as well, when you were talking earlier about that idea of music can kind of almost like either like switch on a memory kind of card or whatever that's going on in there. And you have that with this new season as well, because there's been a, the, the Irma Thomas track has been something that's reoccurred yeah. through a, a few seasons sort of thing. It's not every, you know, you don't have an every episode sort of thing, but it pops up and, and it's really, it's really small in this yeah. season, isn't it? It's like, and it's kind of, but it is almost like that. Oh, there it like is. Almost, there it is. Yeah. It's a little Easter egg. Well, in a way, and that was, it was partly there because sometimes when you're writing, you realise, oh, okay, I can pop it in here like that. I can have a character humming it in the background or whatever. This time we were just hunting for a place for it to go in the season. And it went in really late, actually, really, really late. I was like, oh, oh, we can put it in there. So it, it pops up in the background in, in in an episode. And again, it's like, that's a sort of treat for re- long-term fans of the show or people who've seen lots of episodes so they can, t- it'll take them back to happy memories as well of other episodes that have <laughs> 
I'll make you go, oh, I'm going to go watch that again, for sure. Awesome. Get that algorithm up. Listen, it's a treat to get to chat to you about it. Really, really is. And, and I hope there's going to be more as well because... Yeah, you tell great stories and you give us kind of characters. And, and as I said, I, there's nothing better than watching something and it making you think and starting a conversation. And yeah, it just makes you kind of go off and explore. So thank you so much, Charlie. It's been a real treat to get to chat to you about it. Thank you. Thank you. As used repeatedly in Black Mirror, too much beautiful and brilliant effect that anyone who knows what love is will understand by Irma Thomas rounding off this latest episode of Soundtracking with Charlie Brooker. My huge thanks to Charlie for taking the time to talk to us. You can watch the latest season of Black Mirror on Netflix now and I highly recommend that you do so. It also encouraged me to go back and re-watch some of the old episodes as well. So it's a great thing, I guess, about having a lovely library of them available at your fingertips so you can dive in and out. Uh, and as I mentioned, we've spoken to quite a few of the composers that are featured on the show and you can hear those conversations by just heading to edithbowman.com. Uh, you can also follow us on social channels. We are at Soundtracking UK. And why not check out our YouTube channel too for extra video content? I'm going to stick Charlie up actually uh, before the weekend. So that'll be up there for you to watch. Next up, I've literally just got back from chatting to Mr. James Mangold, who is returning to Soundtracking for his second sitting and specifically to talk about. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Now, I, if you listen to the previous episode of James, where he came on to talk about Logan, that phenomenal film that he did with uh, Sir Patrick Stewart and Hugh Jackman, um, amazing, amazing film. Uh, and James's career is brilliant and beautiful and exciting to watch because, as you hear him talk about in the chat on the next episode, he kind of defies expectations when it comes to the director and that he just kind of wants to flit around and try different things and he's a film fan at heart so that's why he wants to try and do different types of films Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny I actually held the premiere last night and I'm not going to lie uh, I had a little cry after I spoke to Harrison Ford who was so energised and so excited and proud of this last episode chapter in the Indiana Jones uh, saga, I guess. And yeah, for me, you see, because Indiana Jones was the very first film that I chose to go and see at the cinema, Indiana Jones, The Temple of Doom. So it had real emotional context for me. Anyway, 
I love James Mangold. He is such a treat to chat to. His enthusiasm is infectious. And I really hope that you can join us for our next episode of Soundtracking with James Mangold. James Mangold.